We'd like to acknowledge the Wandri and Boonrong people of the Kulin Nation on whose land we meet today. We pay our respects to Elders past and present. We recognise the ongoing intergenerational trauma caused by colonisation. Sovereignty was never ceded. Always was, always will be Aboriginal land. In the heat of the Hello everyone, welcome to Loud, Angry and Not Sorry, where we talk about news and current events from a feminist perspective. Yeah! <laughs> My name's Leah. And I'm Carly. What have you been up to? What have you been doing? You can't... Oh, oh wow. <laughs> um... <laughs> What a tone to start off on. Sorry, I just thought I'd go with the theme of the episode of literally just hating women. <laughs> um, oh, you know, the usual huge uh, dentist bill. Um, decided to have all of my car bills come at once. Just, yeah, just in the words of um, Destiny's Child, bills. <laughs> <laughs> People quote Destiny Child enough. <laughs> I'm a survivor. Is that I'm not going to give up. <laughs> I'm going to make it. It's, um, one of my favorite tricks is to say in the words of and then just make it a pop culture reference because people think because I have a background in academia and I'm like quite widely read that I'm about to like drop something that's like according to Professor so and so, and instead it's just like in the words of Regina George. <laughs> <laughs> and like you know, philosophical geniuses, the Spice Girls. If you want to be my lover, you got to get with my friends. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. <laughs> because making loves forever, but friendships never end. <laughs> Can you imagine though, in like a hundred years, if that's like on some inspirational poster. (laughs) I can imagine that being on an inspirational poster in like two and a half years. (laughs) (laughs) To be true. To be true. What about you? What have you been up to? Whenever you ask me that, I always get like this blank, Mm -hmm. like what the fuck have I been doing? But I've actually been doing some really cool projects, which have been taking up a lot of my brain power, my energy, and they will probably be released I think one of them's released on Celebrate Slut Walk or is it Slut Walk International? Uh, so like a group of Slut Walk organisers from all around the world have gotten together to develop a website that's like full of like cool resources, but also the history of Slut Walk and why it's a movement and that kind of stuff. Yeah, so it should be really cool. But one of the things that we keep getting stuck on is the name. Like slut as a slur, can we reclaim it? Is it worth reclaiming? the trauma that it causes people, how upset people get about it. Like there is valid criticism to be had and a genuine discussion that needs to be had around the word slut. Um, But anyways, we used to speak about the news at the start of the episode. I can't, is it what we're calling it episode? Yeah. I think I question this every week anyway, but from now on we will be profiling a prominent feminist, which I think is much cooler. And if you do want to check out news and things like that, go across to Ospol Pod, and they will sort you out with that stuff because we won't. Um, <laughs> but we're also going to have a look-see into the Office of Women mm. and uh, the Ministers for Women and their various names and achievements. Strap in. It has been a wild few days of researching. Oh, God. I just... Mm. I just 
we didn't realize that ministers for women like just hated women so much all oh, right it doesn't seem like they would be the best fit and then also that the parliaments in general hate women and so the conversations about the ministers for women are just full of sexism i'm look honestly i'm shocked <laughs> this is this is news to me sexism in australia misogyny in the government <laughs> By the way, if you want to know more about sexism and misogyny in the government, go back to one of our past episodes called Bursting the Bonk Bubble Bed. What was it called again? I don't fully remember. (laughs) (laughs) And we had a really cool interview from Dr. Bianca Philiborn as well. Yes. And we talk about um, the episode of Four Corners and the Canberra Bubble, as they called it. Bursting the Bonk Bubble. I think, yeah. Yeah. So professional here at Latin Grand, not sorry. Yeah. Um, We're self-taught, can you tell? (laughs) So, uh, Leah, can you tell us a bit about Eileen Morton Robinson? Yeah. So um, Dr. Eileen Morton Robinson is uh, quite the accomplished academic um, and her career has been pretty incredible. She's the first... In Australia, the first Indigenous Distinguished Professor and Dean of Indigenous Research and Engagement at Queensland's University of Technology. She's Director of the Australian Research Council's National Indigenous Research and Knowledges Network, which is amazing. She's a Distinguished Professor. She's a member of the Executive of the National Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander Higher Education Consortium. She's on the advisory body to the Minister for Education. She's a member of the Department of Education and Training Working Party. Like, she's just had this incredible academic career. And prior to her time in the academy, she worked in public administration. Yeah, she's she's just an incredible woman. And you can tell that when you hear her speak. Like, she's just, she's wise. And I can't, I feel like I'm just not going to do her justice because she's, her wisdom is, is otherworldly, otherworldly. Um, I first heard her speak at Broadside, like maybe three or four years ago. You know, when the universe just aligns and everything works out okay, like I almost didn't make it to this event. I did. I sat there, she spoke and she was just like, white feminism centers patriarchy. And I just went, yep, <laughs> it just fucking changed my life. Like literally reevaluated almost everything. Like my entire brain just flipped and I just spent that hour in just silence and I've never been so still and calm and relaxed. I was just like, I know what I need to do with the rest of my life now. <laughs> like it was just, fuck, yeah. One of her most celebrated works is Talking Up to the White Woman which is currently in its 20th anniversary. It is a hard book to read as a white person, but sit with it and get through it. Take breaks if you need to, but especially us as as white women and white feminists, we need to understand that even though our intentions are sometimes good, the effect of our intentions are not always good. And that doesn't mean stop trying. That means that we just stop and listen sometimes and acknowledge and reflect and we grow but back to dr eileen morton robinson so talking up to the white woman very celebrated book she's done numerous talks academic papers journals 
highly encourage you to read, to absorb. I can't, yeah, like just a, a phenomenal human and I think an underappreciated figure. So Talking Up to the White Woman has just been reprinted for the 20th anniversary edition and there's a new preface in that and I really encourage you to read it. Uh, I'll just read this little passage. Talking Up to the White Woman took me on a journey that changed my life. When the book was first published, Australian feminism had made headway in universities and the Australian Public Service. Women's studies departments has been established and feminists were influencing government policy, while Aboriginal reconciliation as a people's movement was gaining traction. The social context appeared conducive to a positive reception for the book. However, at the book launch organised by the University of Queensland Press, I gained an insight about what to expect. One of the feminists I interviewed for the book attended the launch and advised the University of Queensland Press she was going to take legal action because I misrepresented her. Again, white women, white tears. We need to understand our place in oppression and how complicit we are. Read the book, absorb the book, feel like shit, then get over it and do the work. Yeah, ta-da! All right, Carly, take it away. Tell us what we're doing. So we're talking today about the Office for Women and in particular the Ministers for Women that we've had in our parliamentary history. So according to the website for the Office for Women, there are four main priorities, which are strengthening women's economic security and prosperity, including women's workforce participation, improving women's leadership choices, ensuring that women and their children are safe from violence, and supporting Australia's international work on gender equality and women's empowerment. Yep, sounds pretty good. Hmm. Yeah, it's a shame that the majority of Ministers for Women have voted against this stuff. (laughs) That's awkward. (laughs) So what have they got on currently for us? Current initiatives um, offering advice and support for the Prime Minister and the Ministers for Women, um, which is not actually an initiative. That's (laughs) what the office is. Like, that's being like, I don't know. 7-Eleven has, like, incent- has incentivized Slurpees. Like, what? <laughs> That's what you go to 7-Eleven for. Anyway. <laughs> uh, they've got grants and they've got funding and it's, you know, that thing that's the three $3,700 mark per annum, which is, so, like, it's offensive. Like, yeah. seriously, it's really offensive. There is a leadership alliance led by Natasha Stott Despoia, who... Um, I thought she was pretty cool back in the day because she wore docks. (laughs) (laughs) I thought she was really hot and probably one of my first crushes, to be honest. Wow. Yeah. Yeah, she did tingly things. Anyway, um, (laughs) but the the whole docks. Yeah, I don't remember this. Sorry. (laughs) (laughs) Turns out I'm old. I only, I remember, like, yeah, I I remember her rise to prominence, but I don't remember any yeah, features of her. The Democrat Party. Democrats? Demo- Democratic Party? Fuck. Hang on. I'm just going to Google her now. Mm-hmm. Have we ever had an episode where we've not done a Google? Nope. So hot. <laughs> <laughs> She's the leader, the leader of the Australian Democrats. 
So I, when you Google her, Natasha Stott Despoia, if you go Natasha Stott Despoia and then you type in a D, the first thing that comes up is Doc Martens. So yeah, so she's the leader of this, this initiative that I had not heard of before Googling it. No. Even though I do a lot of feminist stuff and involved in a few different feminist programs, I have only just heard of this thing. Mm, Probably because it's nothing. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, bless her. I'm sure, I'm sure rich white girls do very well with this program. (laughs) Hashtag girl boss. So the Minister for Women, we all know that it's a thing that exists, but it's got an interesting history that we delved into. Uh, Little little spoiler. (laughs) Yeah. Little spoiler coming up that we all know about, but did it actually happen? Uh, We had Tony Abbott as our beloved Minister for Women. Uh, Well, he was also Prime Minister, so he... Self-reported. Yeah. (laughs) On a task that he was just... Speaking of men who are, like, really well-equipped to, like, do the work that they're doing, Tony Abbott. Look, what a feminist hero. Icon. Absolute. Yeah. I need a picture of him in a flower crown up on my wall. You don't have one? (laughs) I've got a picture somewhere of, of George Bush Jr. being whipped by Black Jesus. Nice. Yeah, it's good. Um, so the first thing that I really noticed when we started looking into these, in case you haven't learned by now, I'm a linguist. There were some really interesting titles for this position and there was a lot of like ping-ponging between them. So it started as the Minister Assisting the Prime Minister in Women's Affairs. <laughs> then it became the Minister Assisting the Prime Minister for the Status of Women. Then it was the Minister for the Status of Women. Then the Minister Assisting the Prime Minister for the Status of Women. <laughs> then the Minister Assisting the Prime Minister for Women's Issues. Then we came back to the Minister for the Status of Women. And then we had the Minister Assisting the Prime Minister for Women. That's Tony Abbott. Yeah, fuck. And then we had... Finally, the Minister for Women, which did not actually become a title until 2015. Yikes, on a bike, on a truck. (laughs) (laughs) So I should have said the first, the Minister Assisting the Prime Minister in Women's Affairs was first created in 1976. And that was under the Fraser government. Yeah. 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 But prior to the Fraser government, Gough Whitlam and the Whitlam Labor government um, hired the world's first advisor on women's affairs in a national office she wasn't an mp she wasn't elected she was like a um what do you call it like one of those corporate people that come in and and like um i know what you're talking about consultant yes yeah so she was like hired as a consultant Mm -hmm. and that was in 1973 and she did a bunch of incredible work developing policies around child support family violence refuges and sexual assault crisis clinics it was it was quite pivotal after after she left the labor government she went on to do heaps of stuff with the un developed a heap of programs however it took 40 years for her to come out uh, and talk about the fact that john kerr attempted to kiss her and of that she states i didn't feel sexually assaulted put it that way because he exuded an air of incompetence and like i know that there's times where dudes have tried to kiss me and i'm like i don't consider that sexual assault but she's when she made this statement she was talking about how he was all grabby with his hands and stuff yuck like that's a violation yeah it's just a shame that someone who did so much didn't come out earlier but and i think that really speaks to the times and for like women in parliament women women in politics you can't rock the boat too much yeah like, your job is to support the government in gender equality. It's not to actually achieve gender equality. For yourself. For anyone. It's, it's just, just to help the government look like they're doing it. Oh, just It just feels really gross. Yeah. 
that while she's trying to do this work, the fucking governor general is doing this. Mm -hmm. It's just disgusting. Anyway, so Reid resigned. I'm shocked. This is my shock face. And then Whitlam was dismissed and then the Fraser government came in power. I found this. Did you read that document by Sarah Dowes? I read bits of it. Yeah, I thought, did you find it really interesting? I honestly have read so much today. (laughs) Uh, So I found this document uh, by an ex-parliamentarian, Sarah Dowse, who's done a lot of writing about like sort of the Minister for Women and the Office for Women and stuff like that, and does a massive deep dive into um, how incredibly fucked it is. Uh, But she talks about how the Office of Women... Well, how what was happening with Elizabeth Reid transitioned from Elizabeth Reid into the Fraser government. And I'll just read out a a quick excerpt. Um, At the beginning of 1977, the branch was upgraded again and became the Office of Women's Affairs. It looked like a promotion, and it was for me, but what it actually signified was the removal of the office at the year's end to a new low-ranking Department of Home Affairs which I don't entirely understand, but what it sounds like is that they created an office for women and then they just named it something else. So the people who were working in that office mm. just became the Department of Home Affairs. Mm-hmm. Was the removal of the office at the year's end to a new low-ranking department. So it actually sounds like it's been dem- a demotion of the department. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, which is good and fun. It just – it really does make me wonder what they actually do because there's a bunch of people working in the office for women who, you know, do research and stuff like that. But, mm. like, all we see is, like, every four years a report come out. Yeah. And it's all very focused on uh, economic growth. Yeah. And equality of representation. The illusion of equality. Yeah. And things that you can kind of show targets are being reached for. Mm. So then the government can brag about having a, what is Scott Morrison's government? 30% women. Imagine bragging about that. Like it's good. <laughs> I'm just having flashbacks to that picture of Anthony Albanese on the front of the budget <laughs> for women. <laughs> Oh, but seriously, it's a no from me. Um, So I've just found an article from the ABC Mm. uh, where Mr. Morrison's 30.4% representation of women just edges out the previous record held by former Prime Minister Kevin Rudd, who achieved 30% representation. So Morrison's winning by (laughs) 0.4. Woohoo! Look at you. Yep. And especially when you look at the women that are in the current Liberal government, um, you just know why they were chosen. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Should we start Should we start our little, not really a deep dive, it's a little um, kick around in the shallows of <laughs> each, each of the ministers for women. I should quickly say a note on terminology. Because the title has been so confusing, we're just calling them ministers for women. Uh, I would recommend you jump on to even the wiki page about Ministers for Women in Australia and it will show you what each of them, what their title actually was. Don't. Don't make them do that. Oh, it's, They're good people. It's linguistically fascinating. It's, is it though? It is. Oh, I think that's wrong. Um, <laughs> lying. <laughs> Stop lying to our people. No. <laughs> so we started with Tony Street. Oh, Tony. Tony uh, had the second shortest term as Minister for Women, being 84 days long 
1976. I could not find a single reference anywhere than Wikipedia that listed Tony Street as the Minister for Women. No, nothing. Not a single one. When he was the first one. And he was the very first one. I don't think he was particularly proud of himself. No. And I don't think he did anything noteworthy. No. He might have cry-wanked in a corner. Yeah. So um, should we just move on to number two? Ian McPhee. Yeah. He was in for a year and 42 days from 76 to 77. Um, Again, can't find shit. No. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Not any mention of him being the Minister for Women or the work that he did. Like literally, not even on his Wikipedia page. All his other ministerial roles, there for glory. Mm -hmm. Minister for Women, nada. But he was the director for the ABC between 1994 and 1999, and he really hated Howard. So he's not an entirely thumbs-down person. Like, he goes goes okay. Yeah. (laughs) Just, you know. Maybe for, like, 1977 okay. So then we have a gap of six years where this role disappeared. Oh, no shit. Yeah, I only just noticed. Oh, my God, it did too. So I don't know who was Prime Minister from 77 to 83. Oh, some old white guy. Oh, it was still Fraser. So he just got rid of it. After Ian McPhee, he got rid of it. What a cunt. Yeah. Fourth term, he just decided to not have the minister assisting the Prime Minister in Women's Affairs anymore. So did he have a Tony Abbott moment and just be like, I can do this myself? Maybe he was because... um, Listeners, as you will learn later on. Dear listeners. Dear listeners. (laughs) um, There's some interesting going on with Tony Abbott being the Minister for Women. Um, We'll get into that. So maybe the same thing was happening with Fraser. We don't know. (laughs) Intrigue. Keep you listening. So who did we have next? Young Susan Ryan under the Hawke government, who was pretty awesome. Well, in comparison to McPhee. <laughs> <laughs> um, so Susan Ryan, uh, she's 1983 to 1988. So she was crucial to the development of the Sex Discrimination Act of 1984. And she's later quoted as saying that this is probably the most useful thing she's ever done in her life. Look, probably. Yes. <laughs> like, I mean, honestly. A, yeah. Yeah. Very significant. But she also was crucial in the Affirmative Action Act of 1986. That was about equal employment opportunity for women, um, a Public Service Reform Act in 1984, and another Equal Employment Opportunity Act in 1987. Yikes. Yeah, I'm just thinking about, like, that I existed and we didn't have this stuff in place already. Yeah. Like, yeah, so she did some, some good shit. Yeah. Go, Susan, you fucking legend. <laughs> Sorry, I'm so tired. <laughs> Look, I, you know, that's that's important. And I think yeah. it really also speaks to the fact that it is important to have not women but feminists in political roles. Mm. Even though, you know, this whole change from within stuff is like a bit of a headache and a nightmare and incremental change and small changes is bullshit. I think it's important that we do have people in government doing stuff like this. Mm-hmm. I don't 100% agree that because we have this legislation that it's actually being enacted no. within our courts or even within our workplaces. But I do think it's important that we at least have something to point at. Yeah. Um, 
And if we have people in government working with feminists on the grassroots level and feminist organisations, and if the three of those things, cogs, wheels, I don't know what you want to call them, if those three groups are working together, then that's where we can actually make the systemic change. Mm. It's not going to work if we've got grassroots feminists over here doing shit by ourselves. Then we've got feminist organisations like, I don't know, like Flat Out Inc or whatever, doing stuff by themselves. Mm. And then we've got people in government doing stuff by themselves. Mm. If we're not talking and coordinating, then there's no fucking point. Yep. Because obviously the government's going to have no idea what's actually happening on the grassroots. Yeah, they can bring these policies and enact new laws, but then are they being carried out? You've got to find out on the ground level. And I think that was what was so good about the early labour movement is that, I mean, it was born of the union movement. So was it union then labour or labour then union? I don't know. Anyway, they they engaged with each other Mm. and the union actually had power to do stuff until the fucking Hawke government, but we won't talk about that today. <laughs> but, like, the union actually had power to do stuff and they knew what was happening in the workplaces and, on, the, you know, in the shop floors mm. because they were actually engaged with the community. Mm. And now there's such a disconnect that the labour is just like, I forgot what today was. <laughs> and Anthony Albanese, the fucking mollusk, is just fucking... Anyway, that's not the point. What are we talking about? <laughs> Sorry, what day is it? Um, we're now on to Margaret Reynolds. Who was 88 to 90 years old. <laughs> and I'm, I'm still not alive yet. This is still not my era. So Margaret Reynolds' greatest victory was defensive, which was that she was able to hold the line on funding community-based childcare um, in 88, which ended up being reversed by Howard, because fuck Howard. While it was hard to find exactly what she did while she was in this position as Minister for Women, after she was in this position, while she was still in Parliament, she was very anti-Pauline Hanson. Tried to muster support for motions to basically stop Pauline from being so outright racist and demanding that she actually work for all of her constituents and not just the white ones. Another tidbit that I found really interesting about Margaret Reynolds is that her husband is Henry Reynolds, who was a very significant, is a very significant historian in Australia. I've read some of his books. Yes, is most famous for his part in the history wars which was part of the black armband history thing which again we can look at howard for you had people like i actually i'm not going to name them people who were very famous genocide denialists in australia and henry reynolds was big on making sure that we actually had um textbooks and histories that talked about what happened to indigenous people what colonialists did to indigenous people and not denying any of that yes so he's very cool and i hate to be like this person had a cool husband in the middle of a discussion of ministers for women but she had good taste exactly yeah and i think the company you keep is reflective of your values and your morals as a human and we will go we'll discuss that later as well (laughs) so that's margaret reynolds who's next i don't know wendy Fallon. Phelan? Fatten? Phaeton? I don't know how to say it. 1990 to 91. The transition from Reynolds to Fatten, Phaeton, sorry, Wendy, or anyone if you're listening and this is your surname. We cannot be held accountable (laughs) for the fact that the English language is a bit fucked. (laughs) There's a quote uh, on the... 
government Senate page has like biographies about some of these people. And the quote is, Reynolds was not included in the fourth Hawk ministry announced in April 1990. The left was entitled to one woman in the ministry and Margaret, recuperating from a car accident, voluntarily made way for her friend and factional colleague, Wendy Fate. You can have one. <laughs> I sent Leah a message about this last night when I found it and it was just me whispering into the phone. Is it sarcasm or is it serious? Because <laughs> <laughs> it's from the government. I feel like it's serious. Anyway. I don't know. I feel like John Howard is a big massive joke and he was the prime minister. True. Uh, so, again, these early people, it's really hard to find a lot on what they did. So, Phaeton's priorities for women that Phaeton addressed during this period included um, domestic violence, childcare, parental leave, paid maternity leave, wage equity, women's health, and sexism in the media. That being said, again, it was another person that I had a lot of trouble finding exactly how she did these things. On leaving the house, she singled out two achievements she found particular pride in having helped bring about. The transfer of nursing education to the tertiary sector and the House of Representatives Community Affairs Committee report on the management and treatment of breast cancer in Australia. Second one is obviously good, and um, while breast cancer affects everyone, it has a higher instance of affecting women, so good thing for a minister for women to focus on. We had an interesting chat about the first one and how, yeah, I feel like... Oh, no, not necessarily, but yeah, like... As a nurse, I feel like, and also talking to older nurses, I think, talking about the, the difference between making nursing a tertiary education versus the hospital-based education style, there are a lot of differences and there are a lot of benefits. Like working in the hospital and living in the hospital in like nursing quarters, being paid to learn and learning on the job, there's, it's so valuable. But there's also a massive bullying culture that exists within those within that setting so it was good to break away from that and like to move into like a different system but also there were so many benefits to actually working on the job like when you learn how to be a nurse or you go to uni to be a nurse and you are sat like I sat in a lecture about how to take a blood pressure which is not interesting or useful and it's like it's such a practical skill that we should have only – it should have been like as we were doing it in the labs. They would just be like, you know, we occlude yeah. this vessel and this is what happens and this is why it works and this is what a systolic is and this is what diastolic is. And, you know, mm-hmm. like that could have been done while you were doing it and that's a much more dynamic way to learn as opposed to sit down in a lecture hall and have someone say this is what a systolic is. Yeah. And it feels like it's the kind of equality where it's about – reach for the same level of power within the system that we already know is in the hierarchy and it is entrenched. Mm. So, um, yeah, as Leah pointed out when we were talking about this last night, that just because nurses have the bachelor now that they can have the piece of paper that says that they have the equivalent education of other people in the system doesn't mean that other people in the system are then going to respect that as an equality of power because the hierarchies are intense in the medical field. Anyway, so I'm not a nurse anymore. (laughs) (laughs) And there's multiple reasons for that. But anyway, I think that I, there's, there's a bit of a question mark around is moving from hospital based to, to university based learning. I don't know if that's an achievement. I think that's just, just a shift 
I think it's an achievement in the eyes of like the capitalist system that focuses on degrees as being the best thing you can ever do. And then that also ties in with, as I've whinged about before, universities as businesses and universities wanting to have these things require a qualification because then they get money off people. It's so bizarre. So you do your graduate programs. I want you to go in and do a postgrad straight away. Mm. I'm just like, these people are babies. Like they've gone from high school to university. They've worked in a hospital for 12 months and now you want them to be a clinical specialist. Mm. Like like they're, they're actual children. Mm, yeah that if they waited five years they would realize they don't need that additional degree so we have to get them and convince them that they need it while they're young yeah 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 get them while they're green yeah anyway next we have (laughs) rosemary crowley who was that's not a real name (laughs) (laughs) that's a character from downton abbey surely (laughs) um so she is a keating Minister for Women from 91 to 93. Oh, there was like a beautiful moment then when I forgot Keating existed. <laughs> oh, it was lovely. It was trees and flowers and nothing had been privatised. so good. Anyway, sorry, what? So she was involved in significant reforms to Medicare and spoke strongly in support of the Sex Discrimination Bill in 1983, which is before her time. She also implemented the Child Care Rebate Act of 1993, participated in numerous Senate committees and chaired inquiries into health insurance, health legislation, and the relationship between women's sport and the media. So I found a few mentions of this where um, she tried to get the same kind of coverage on women's sports that men's sports had and um, was trying to achieve a similar kind of status or even come close to the same kind of status, which is fun because it's something we're still trying to fight for now. So yeah. 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 Aren't we Taylor Harris? Yes. So, um, mainly what Rosemary Crowley did that was good was, um, defending a lot of reforms around welfare. So she was trying to protect a lot of welfare and she fought for an increase in childcare places also introduced legislation for cash rebates for the cost of childcare for working families and home childcare allowances. Um, There was a funny note that I found that she included something about the fact that like uh, childcare centers should play less Christmas carols at Christmas because they might not be culturally relevant for everyone. Like, yeah, that's fine. Maybe a good thing to point out. Let's not be obsessed with Christmas carols. And everyone like lost their mind. Did the nineties equivalent of war on amazing but like imagine if you just went hey you know this 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 period in time not only christmas yeah. <laughs> Fuck, seriously do people know anything about separation of church and state I swear. next we have award winner ros kelly because she wins the award for the shortest stint as <laughs> minister for women getting in there for 68 days so this is also under keating um she it was kind of hard to figure out the dates. It was all a bit confusing. Like, honestly, the running theme with the first 11 or 12 of these people that we're talking about is that the information about them is sparse. It is really difficult to access, particularly in their role as Minister for Women. It was incredibly difficult to figure out what they did, what was significant. But anyway, with Ros Kelly, she left because of the sports rorts affair. Before we had Bridget McKenzie... We had Ros Kelly. (laughs) Um, But she 
left the role as Minister for Women before that. So maybe it was like when the investigation into it started that she stepped uh, down as she, Minister for Women. Yeah. See, Bridget, you could learn a thing or two. <laughs> Fuck me. Um, so then we had Carmen Lawrence who – so we had to make a few decisions when we were, like, coming up with this episode. And we're like, let's try and only talk about things that they did while they were Minister for Women. But then a bunch of them have, like – done awful or like good stuff after they left the position and again it's almost like history doesn't really care about what people have done for representations of women so it's really hard to find what they did when they were ministers for women but um she was the minister for women from 1993 to 1996 and the one really cool thing that i found about her was that in december 2002 so long after she's been minister for women Um, She resigned from the shadow cabinet, describing the party's policies on asylum and immigration as brutal and inhumane. Correct. Also, Carmen, if you're um, if you're listening, give me a yell. We should be mates. I like you. It's just a shame that like she was the only one that left. Like, do you know what I mean? Or there was no actual stink about it. It was just like, oh, yeah, whatever. Jocelyn, Jocelyn Newman. Is she liberal or Labour? We're into the Howard era now. Oh, yikes on a bike. So it's 1996. And Jocelyn Newman is very conservative. She called Centrelink her baby, (laughs) which is like, do you want to unpack that (laughs) as a linguist? (laughs) She talked about how she was responsible for the centralization of welfare. So Centrelink was her baby. I... Oh, I just hate it. They hate it so much. There were lines about, like, um, preserving family structure, which to me reads as, like, Christian conservative and, like, doesn't like divorce and wants nuclear families. I I don't think that there's any other way to read that. Okay, good. Um, (laughs) (laughs) She's keen for, for maintaining patriarchal systems and family values, which means if he hits you, take it and if he rapes you that's fine it is illegal by now but you just don't talk about it no so she was very gung-ho about um reducing i say this in quotation marks welfare dependency and eradicating again quotation marks rotters of the welfare system only of the welfare system not not government rotters no of course not not rich people (laughs) so yeah she presided over a tightening of benefits and was attacked over changes to the funding of childcare centres for cuts to the funding of a number of community and women's groups. This is the Minister for Women, remember? Mm-hmm. Oh, so there's just so many comments that are really sexist and, like, this one. And she was harshly reactive to criticism. Like, fuck off. I don't care about her behaviour or demeanour because you don't tell me about the behaviour or demeanour of most men in Parliament. So Absolutely. irrelevant. Mm-hmm. Until we report on everyone's, we report on no one's. I just, I, I love the concept of a nuclear family. Mm. Like it just, it just makes me think of something that's radioactive. <laughs> <laughs> All I think of is Homer Simpson being like nuclear. <laughs> it's pronounced nuclear. <laughs> it was a really bad accent. I'm sorry, everyone. So young Judy Moylan 
fought for the transparency in mandatory detention for asylum seekers. Sorry, I started reading that like it was sarcastic, but it's actually really good. <laughs> like, look at this cunt, like, fighting for the transparency in mandatory detention. Which year was this? Uh, 97. Yeah, this was my ASRC days. Um, yeah, so she was considered a small L liberal within the Liberal Party. She announced initiatives on domestic violence, assistance to women in small businesses, and a scheme to increase women in Commonwealth boards and agencies. But that was all very general. Again, had trouble finding specifics. But interestingly, Judy was only in for a year. So we went Jocelyn Newman. She had about 18 months, almost two years. Sorry, I'm reading a chart weirdly. And then Judy Moylan came in and she was only in for a year. And then Jocelyn Newman came back for another two years. So it was almost as if John Howard was like, hang on, this person actually cares about some things? This person is a small L lib? Not in my party. No, 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 no. Not in my cabinet. What do you mean you're going to object to me lying about children overboard? That seems ridiculous. Come on back, Jocelyn. Come and take your nuclear family. (laughs) Gonna sit in the middle and blow this shit up. Yep. And then, of course, the person to take that crown, because again, we're still in the Howard era, Amanda Van Stone. How can you say that name without vomiting? <laughs> <laughs> so, from 2001 to 2003, we had Van Stone, who was described as a vulture on the welfare system. Would they use that language for a man? No. No. But I do kind of hate her enough that I'm okay with it. Um, But it's just so much more visceral. I also totally agree. I think she's a fucking piece of shit. Yeah. She was awful with welfare. And I found this really interesting article that said that, I mean, again, I'm like, is she being blamed for this? Because she's the woman. But um, a lot of the way that Amanda Vanstone spoke about welfare has kind of created the language where we now have this perception of welfare around things like doll bludges. Mm. A lot of that was Amanda Vanstone era. Mm. And it was really interesting to read because a lot of the language that she uses is the language that you still hear around. I'm still Mm. fighting against today. And this perception of people defrauding the system really seems like Amanda Van Stone might have had a lot to do with it. Um, fuck you. Yes. Um, I, I, I still fight. I'm just like, people deserve to live. People don't, It's that's not about like earning the right. You don't have to earn that right. You exist. You live in safety. Yes. That's it. Yep. I'm so sick of this narrative. People are lazy and they don't want to work. Before it was, um, they're lazy and they get drunk and stoned and now it's because of the corona supplement. and mm. But it's never about the job being an underpaid, under-resourced position. It's never about the job being terrible working conditions. It's never about the fact that that boss is, like, known to be a bit gropy and a bit handsy so you don't go to that place. It's never about that. It's always the person doesn't want that job. It's mm-hmm. also a massive fallacy. Like, mm-hmm. we know from the numbers that there are thousands of people applying for single jobs. Mm-hmm. And one last point I'm going to make on welfare. Yeah. <laughs> Raising the level of welfare benefits everyone. Yep. If you can leave a shitty working place and have secure a secure income, that means more people are going to leave their work. Yeah. It's still not enough to have a comfortable life. It's still much less than what I was earning, mm. but it's enough to get me out of that shitty situation and into something else. It's something yep. to fall back on. Yeah. Which means more workplaces are going to have to improve their conditions. 
Mm. and it's going to force wages up. Yep. How is that bad? How is that bad? Because rich people, as we learnt from the whole stonks moment in the US recently with GameStop, rich people don't want poor people to be okay. They want us to struggle. They want us to stay. Oh, sorry, I shouldn't say us. I know this. Yeah. Look, it's mildly a rhetorical question. I know. I do understand that they want us poor and they want us struggling so that we take the crappy jobs. Mm. I understand that. But why are we as a society and as a culture in favour of this when it actually puts everyone on every level of employment in a bad position? You will never be a billionaire. Stop defending them. Oh, my God. Um, so it's not only women who have babies, but as the Minister for Women, one of the things you would think you would be concerned about is parental rights because predominantly it is women having babies and then being affected in the workforce, maybe taking time off, needing... Um, to get support from the government, whatever it is. Mm, So people who are in the position of Minister for Women should not ever be cutting the welfare system because it's just attacking the most vulnerable members of society who are most often oppressed groups. And then when you talk about like domestic violence and family violence. Oh, yeah. Obviously disproportionately affects women. Yeah. And especially when we live in, a, especially back in when was this 90 something? Men... 2000, early 2000s. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> I know my bands don't hear well. <laughs> Fuck, I literally have repressed her from, oh my God. Anyway. Good choice. We have understanding of how bad the domestic violence situation is and we know how bad wage inequality is. We we have these processes in place. Like, we, we have this research. Mm. And yet she's still trying to cut welfare and refer to welfare fraud instead of, like, it's always the welfare recipients committing the fraud. Yep. They never talk about how fraudulent the government is. Yeah. And it's our money. All right. Should we throw Amanda Vanstone in the bin now? Um... Yeah. <laughs> so we're on to Kay Patterson, who is still in the Howard era from 2003 to 2006. Once again, like three years Minister for Women, you think that she would have done some things? Couldn't find anything. After she was Minister for Women, I found that she did some cool shit to do with stem cell research that she's apparently known for. But more importantly, we've got four votes here from after she's the Minister for Women. Okay, we're just going to have to content warning this strong mentions of extreme cuntiness and facedness <laughs> firstly kay patterson voted very strongly against decreasing the gender pay gap <laughs> our minister for women why would you vote against yourself it makes oh kay patterson voted very strongly against Equal treatment for all couples. So this was about um, marriage equality, kind of Mm. no discrimination. Look, I'm not particularly shocked by that one. Kay Patterson voted very strongly against extending government benefits to same-sex couples. Kay Patterson voted very strongly against increasing federal government support for childcare. What a piece of shit. Seriously. She was the Minister for Women for three years. Thankfully... We are now on to our last person from the Howard era. Was she in the Howard era? She was. This is old mate Red Shoes, Julie Bishop. (laughs) (laughs) I enjoyed that. So Julie Bishop is shit. We all know that. She's conservative. But when we were researching her, the problem that we kept talking about was that she's so well-spoken and Mm. she is so in control when she speaks 
that she is a very enthralling person to listen to. Criticisms of her are often just very sexist because as a politician, she's she's not hard to criticize if you're coming from the left, but if you're coming from the Murdoch media and you want to criticize a woman who speaks well, the thing you're going to go for is the fact that she's a woman. But I did find this great quote from her. Back in 2006, when I was appointed to cabinet as the Minister for Education, Science and Training and as the Minister for Women's Issues, I was asked constantly by men, only men, why isn't there a minister for men's issues? I thought the answer so self-evident that it didn't require a response. Fast forward to 2013, when I was back in cabinet as the deputy leader of the Liberal Party and the Minister for Foreign Affairs. I was the only woman in that 19-member cabinet, so Prime Minister Tony Abbott appointed himself the Minister for Women's (laughs) Issues. Anyway, we we don't like either of them. They're both awful. That, but that's that is a hilarious point. Yes, Julie Bishop, like just ardently denying that she's a feminist. Like we don't want you, so it's fine. But it's just incredibly frustrating. I saw her on Q and A once, and she was, I think it was Annabelle Crabb, who is also a cunt, but for different reasons. <laughs> um, was like. It really upsets me that you don't call yourself a feminist. And she's just like, well, it really upsets me that you don't call yourself a liberal. She's so good with messaging and with with language and twisting words. Mm, Very, very smart. But anyway, as Minister for Women, I think she was in for less than a year because she went in in 2000. Oh, no, almost two years. But again, couldn't find much that she did. She did vote in favour of um, increasing the access of chemical abortions. That was post her role as that was post minister yeah. for women though yeah yeah anyway tell us about tanya tanya plibersek isn't she supposed to be a feminist icon and hero oh yeah, yeah. should we ask craig kelly <laughs> um uh tanya plibersek did one particular thing that i want to focus on that was really good so um this is 2007 to 2010 Partially this, so we're, we're now into the um, leadership spill era of going Rudd, Gillard, Rudd, Abbott, Turnbull, Morrison. So for Rudd's term, and then she is for like a few months of uh, Gillard's term in office as well. She is the Minister for Women. One thing that she did do that's still running today that I didn't do a lot of deep research into and I want to. So if anyone's listening and knows that it's crap, please tell me. Um, along with Kevin Rudd, apparently. She set up the 11-member National Council to Reduce Violence Against Women and Their Children. The government asked the council to lead a national conversation and analyze research to produce a plan to reduce the incidence and impact of sexual assault and domestic and family violence perpetrated against women and their children. So then they released a plan in 2009, which argued for a sustained new level of investment in primary prevention and the justice system to create respectful relationships, fair outcomes and safe communities. So they had a plan for like implementation and there was a website where uh, I tried to look, there were like sections that were like, how are we tracking our progress? And it was all just like quotes. There is a big PDF you can go through, but I'm sorry, I did not. Of the people that I looked into up to this point, 
it was the one where you could point to something that's still in effect today mm. where they've actively sorry that's not true because Susan Ryan did like the sex yeah, discrimination yes. act but I guess it's also because of the time that it was done that it's like still being worked on now it's like a project that has an ongoing impact not it's, just at a it's not just like a, a, po- a set of policies yeah or legislation it's an ongoing project yeah what you mean yeah yeah, yeah yeah absolutely as of the 28th of January Tanya Plibersek is also the shadow minister for women so Working in the shadows <laughs> better watch out Maurice Ooh, get ya. is there anything more ridiculous than a shadow minister like mm. i just get visions of someone being like just looking over like the actual minister's shoulder and being like typo yeah. <laughs> um so one interesting horrific thing that we found about plebisek as we were researching is um her close personal relationship with alan jones gross yeah Violent vomiting. Disgusting. They, like, I don't know, I found this weird article that was, like, talking about how much Jones, like, loves her. And all of the quotes for her were more impartial, but also, like, she went to his Christmas party at his house once. And, like, she makes all those comments that centrists love to make about, um, you know, we have to make sure that we're, like, listening to people with the opposite viewpoint from us and, like make sure that we're all working together and not just like living in echo chambers. And it's like, yeah, okay. (gasps) Alan Jones though. He incited a race riot. He wrote love letters to young boys when he was 27 years old. I don't want to know what his opinion is on shit. Nope. I'm not interested in his rapey, racist bullshit i'm sorry i'm not i'm not even sorry i am loud and i'm angry and i am not sorry (laughs) like seriously yeah like why do we feel like we have to entertain these conversations when it's such a massive distraction from the point yeah i don't i don't want to have conversations and try and justify my existence to people yeah i'm done with those conversations yep so even though plebisek did some good ongoing things we we still we we do not like we're still not fans no no you i feel like you really need to have a look at the company that she keeps as a reflection on her character to be honest yep anyway you can be done with hearing me talk too much now because we're into the modern era (laughs) the modern era (laughs) gets super fucked super quick So Kate Ellis, who is the Labor Minister for Women from 2010 to 2011, look, again, couldn't find much, did find that she, yeah, she voted in favour of the federal government increasing transparency requirements for political parties. So good. (laughs) Well done, Kate. Everyone's really proud of you. Moving on to Julie Collins, who, what year was she? Julie Collins is 2011 to 2013, and she is... She retains power in the leadership spill when we went back to Rudd. Oh, so this there was a Rudd Gillard Rudd thing here. Yeah. Oh, fucking hell. I don't care. <laughs> still shit. So Julie Collins was kind of oh, she wrote the introduction to the um, gender balance report. Like I don't think she wrote the report, but she wrote well her office at least wrote the introduction and she signed it. So again, well done, Julie. <laughs> so the main takeaways from this is that there is a there is a gender imbalance. 
There's a lot of graphs. There's a lot of charts. I wonder who got paid to tell them that. Not me. They have some initiatives to tackle this. A couple of guidelines, merit and transparency, and business, governments, and oversight guidelines. And there is literally no way around an ironclad guideline. Merit is one of those red flag words to me. Oh, really? Because I feel like it's the oppositional argument to like quotas and targets is that we're a merit-based company. What is merit? Merit is something that we have primarily awarded to white men in the past mm-hmm. who come from certain backgrounds and we say it's merit, but it's not fucking merit because we only award certain people in our society with things as considering them to be meritorious. Yeah. So yeah. it's actually like really undermining to claim that something about gender equality is merit based. Look, it's not the only part of this is confusing. So there is a gender panel, which, um, I, 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 what? Okay. <laughs> so apparently they provide expertise for the government agent. Uh, they provide expertise for government agencies to draw from in undertaking gender assessments and related work. Panel members include organizations and individuals with demonstrated experience in gender analysis in areas ranging from research to gender analysis training. What the fuck is gender analysis training? What I don't know what this has got to do with with equality. It sounds like blood work. Buzzwords. It it literally sounds like they're they're doing actual tests on people <laughs> to figure out what their gender is. Or like I've got a really easy way around this, Julie. Just be like, yo, what's your gender? And they're like, I'm non-binary. And you're just like, cool. <laughs> And that is Leah with your gender analysis training (laughs) over. You are now certified. (laughs) Like, what else do you need to do? What are your pronouns? They, them, she, them, he, her, whatever. Like, cool. All right. That's what we're doing now. Like, that's that's all you need to do. Mm. I feel like it must be another box ticking thing that's about like showing that there's enough women in your cabinet or something i've just found a gender analysis toolkit oh my god tell me more i still don't know what's happening i'm four pages in and i still don't know what's happening do, do you have to like if you can pat your head and rub your tummy does that mean if you're a boy <laughs> or a girl do they like if when while you're pregnant do they like do circles with a necklace above your stomach like is it that <laughs> sorry i just <laughs> i thought i would get to information and i went through the whole thing and it's just a bunch of links and then at the end it's like rate this tool here <laughs> there is how to conduct a gender analysis from the un what is a gender analysis thank you inquiring minds Gender analysis is the critical starting point for gender mainstreaming. The first step... That sounds like a sex thing. (laughs) (laughs) The first step in a mainstreaming strategy is the assessment of how and why gender differences and inequalities are relevant to the subject under discussion. Gender analysis is a tool that brings to the surface gender disparities. Yeah, so it's about um, inequality. But it's a first step to inequality, to understanding inequality. Yeah, it's the analysis, so then you would apply your findings from the analysis to implement policy. Shouldn't they have done that already? Yes. Why Why is... Oh, my God. Is this one of those things where they're making it look like they've done something, but they've not done anything? I'm surprised. This is my, my surprised face. So, up next, <laughs> Minister for Women number 17. The one we, you've all been waiting for. We have Michaelia Whiteboard Cash, who's also Tony Abbott. <laughs> so when we like 
we started looking into this and we were like, ha ha ha, Tony Abbott. And so we were like trying to find information about Tony as the minister for women, because obviously it is just such a ridiculous joke right up there with him eating an onion with the skin on in his, in terms of his like parliamentary career. He is just to quote Leah, one long fart noise. (laughs) (laughs) Glad we got that one in. Yeah. So the, even the Minister for Women Wikipedia page says that there have only been two men, and those are the first two that we told you about, Tony Street and Ian McPhee, and there has never been another man, the Minister for Women. And I was like, oh, lol, this must have been written by, like, a liberal or someone who just wants to pretend it didn't happen. But it's just not talked about. Like, you have to really dig or you find quotes. Mm. Like, the quote I had earlier from Julie Bishop that's the only time people mention that he was the minister for women. No one talks about it. It's. I think they did talk about it at the but time. Sponged it. Yes. I think, it's, I think it's just been redacted. Yep. They did it. They did a Control X on the fact that he was the minister for women because it's fucking ridiculous and hilarious. Yeah. Especially when he talks about. Look, we'll let Tony tell you. Uh, being Prime Minister, you're also the Minister for Women. What would you say is your biggest achievement in the last year in that role? Well, you know, uh, uh, it's very important to do the right thing by families and households. And uh, as, you, as, as, as many of us know, um, women are particularly focused uh, on the household budget and the repeal of the carbon tax uh, means a $550 a year benefit for the average family. Uh, now we've got our yeah, so anyway, when going back to Michaelia Cash, when Michaelia Cash was the acting women advising the Prime Minister on women's issues and affairs. <laughs> she was the minister assisting the Prime Minister for women. So the it was the Prime Minister for women. That was Tony Abbott. He was the <laughs> Prime Minister for women. And then Michaelia Cash was the minister assisting the Prime Minister for Women. Anyway, I literally could not find anything, any legislation, anything that had been tabled in the period that Michaelia Cash... Well, there's probably a report out there somewhere that goes into great lengths about, I don't know, curry for your country or whatever. But, like, <laughs> I honestly just, yeah. And this is four years. The only person who has been a Minister for Women longer was Susan Ryan, who was the first woman that we talked about who did a whole bunch of good stuff. And... Yeah, Michaelia Cash. I couldn't find anything that she'd voted on that talked about the rights of women, rights for gender diverse or trans people, which is no surprise, but still. Like, she didn't even vote against anything. Like, I couldn't find anything. Mm. Uh, There was nothing about equal opportunity or safety in the workplace. There was nothing that I could find. It doesn't mean it's not there. I just literally could not find it, which either means I'm really bad at, at researching, which is maybe... Or they've just hidden it, they've buried it. Mm. Because either there was nothing or what she did do doesn't marry with something. I don't know. Or because it's this Abbott era where they're pretending that he was never the Minister for (laughs) Women. Like, I can't... So everything that happened as the Minister for Women happened under Tony Abbott and they couldn't just, like, change the name around so they're just, like, just expunged. Yeah. Well, I mean, he was there for two years and then he got kicked out because, remember, we're in the spill era. Um, so then it was Turnbull, Turnbull, um, Turnbull. I literally fell asleep one day. Like I had a cheeky nap, went to sleep. Tony Abbott's the prime minister, woke up (laughs) and it was Turnbull. And I'm just like, what is going on? Am I magic? Am 
I'm having magic naps. Anyway, it was very bizarre. But yeah, they've just like I I challenge you go have a Google, see how much information you can find about Tony Abbott being the minister for women. It's pretty funny. It is hidden. It is buried. Mm. It is. I'm. We mean like official government documents. Yes. And if you do find them, please send them to us because I want to have a look. Because I, as I started researching this, I sent an audio message to Leah where I was like, was that a fever dream? Was that a collective fever dream? Did we all just imagine that Tony Abbott was the minister for women? It was a ruse on sunrise. Uh, But the thing that I was like, no, it definitely happened is because he made that comment about women enjoying ironing while he was the minister for women. And and that quote from before. Yeah. yeah like, he yeah. literally says it himself. Like it's a, Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And, but, like, while Abbott was, the, was and was not the Minister for Women in this period, <laughs> he tried to push through this paid parental leave, which looks good on the surface, but, like, Labor and the Greens voted so strongly against it that I'm just like, I'm missing something. Mm. It was 26 weeks of paid leave. It says in full replacement of their wage, but it's obviously not because... The, the maximum you could receive was 75000 per annum. Mm-hmm. So it's obviously not. So I don't know. There's just something weird going on here where it sounds so good and it's clearly not because I well, I hope that Labor and the Greens wouldn't vote against this just because it was Tony Abbott and I really don't think they would. Mm. Like not all of them, just like unilaterally like, fuck no. There was something about like it would be paid for impartial by levies from businesses and there was other stuff about like de-incentivizing people to go to work for larger firms because larger firms had, you know, more attractive bonuses and mm like, you know, paid parental leave schemes and things like that. But the one thing that kind of stuck out is that it it overrode all other programs, Mm. which made me think that maybe this was actually bad. Yeah. I don't know. I'd be pretty happy on 75K a year, (laughs) but maybe not if I was used to 150 or like 200. Yeah, but there must be something else to it. Yeah. I I also feel like it just is so surprising that Tony Abbott would put forward a paid parental leave thing that he's look, my gut is saying that he's just trying to keep women at home. Yeah. True. Yeah. He's trying to like de-incentivize people from working and, and get them back into the homes where they belong. Yes. But also women do have children and women do work. What, if you know why labor and the, and the greens were so anti this, please let me know because I just, I just haven't done enough reading on it to be honest. And like at this stage, I don't care. So if you could just like too long, don't read me, that would be. (laughs) Um, Also Michaelia cash in 2018, this isn't, she wasn't minister for women at this stage, but she voted against online safety. And I just wanted to remind everyone that she is a massive cunt. Mm -hmm. We have a quote here from Senator cash saying, Um, I believe in gender equality, and if you want to label me as a feminist, go ahead and do it. But certainly labeling myself as a feminist, if that is a prerequisite now for being a minister for women, that's ridiculous. Nothing. Those words said nothing. Yeah, it just reminds me of this quote by Maya Angelou. I'm a feminist. I've been a female for a long time now. It'd be stupid not to be on my own side. Uh, mic drop. (laughs) Anyway... Who the fuck's next? Kelly O'Dwyer. Young Kelly. So this is, she's half Turnbull, half Morrison. So she like straddles the lib spill and she's in from 2017 to 2019. 
2019, she decides not to, to run again in her electorate because she's decided that she's going to spend time with her family and with her husband and trying to make more children, which is fine. Like, I'm not, I, I don't know. I feel shit for, like, making, because I just, like, eye roll so hard at this. But also at the same time, that's fine. Like, having, yeah. can you imagine having two chi- two chids? <laughs> Sounds like a lot of work. <laughs> imagine having two kids and then trying to conceive again. It can be stressful. Mm. And I can imagine being in this position is like a high demand job and it's stressful mm. and cortisol is bad for procreation. Yep. Like that's just, sorry, that's it. But like, it just feels shit that she's like all of these family values and yet doesn't think at the same time that, oh, gee, maybe while I'm not working, it would be good if my super went up a bit. <laughs> like, do you know what I mean? Like, mm. taking time off for women to have children means that their super's not increasing. Mm. So, you know, she maybe could have done something for women there, but, like, no. Yep. Instead, she voted to combine the federal circuit court and the family court into one mega court, mm-hmm. which is bullshit for a... Um, myriad of reasons but essentially she went hey let's take a massive david jones store okay and a massive coles and make them one shop mm-hmm. and that's fucked it, it just is depleting resources it's depleting access and it just makes things difficult to process yeah like you've got skirts next to tomato sauce like yeah. it's 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 ridiculous it's absolutely ridiculous there was massive pushback from people in government especially pushback from mp independent sally stegall who said all you're doing is putting two systems into one you're losing the specialization of the family court which is exactly the truth you know you can't it's a cost cutting measure essentially mm. which is why the the fucking liberal government frothed over it. So we've got government fighting against it. We've got the justice system that thinks it's ridiculous. We've got family violence advocates being like, oh, my God, don't. This is ridiculous. And and family violence organisations are just like, this is just going to be terrible. It's going to negatively, and I would say it has negatively impacted children, families and women's, but not that Kelly gives a fuck about women that aren't her. She also voted to deregulate university fees, which is like sweet Coca Cola. Thanks, babe. Thanks. So, um, what an ally. Great, great representation for two years from Kelly O'Dwyer. And then we've got Maurice Payne. Our current, current cunt. Current cunt. Currently cunting. Yeah. So, as you might remember from previous episodes, Feminism for the 1%, Maurice Payne, paid by name. Pained by nature. It just gets funnier every time. I was going to say the opposite, but like I just enjoy it a lot. I don't. I don't even know what to say on her. Like we've already. I don't know. Do we just be like refer back? Yeah, honestly, like listen oh, to the previous like episode. Essentially, yeah, she's crap. Yeah, voted against universal abortion. She voted against heaps of shit that you would expect a liberal government to vote against because they literally hate women. Yep. And here is the the quick disclaimer as well. It's so easy to just shit on these women as individuals. Like the the Morrison government is 33% women. No, 30.4% women. But like there's no representation. So there's no safety in numbers. You don't have your sisters having your back kind of situation. There's no solidarity there. It's it's each for their own. Like imagine being proud of not being a feminist. Yeah. Like imagine being like... Equal rights are for losers. Imagine working alongside Tony Abbott and then being like, oh, I'm not a feminist. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so 
yeah, that's our little little guide through the history of the position of the Minister for Women in Australia. I, th- I think it is important to note that they, these, these are women who are acting within a patriarchal, colonial, white supremacist system. So, And it really goes to the whole just because you're a woman doesn't mean you're going to be doing the right things mm. for the betterment of society and culture. Yeah. Minister for Women, the Office of Women, is a neoliberal con job. Yes. I think it's also a really significant conversation about the fact that for a lot of these women, they were the only women in the cabinet. Mm. So they kind of had to be the Minister for Women because... Mm. Unless you're Tony Abbott, you're not <laughs> going to put a man in charge to be Minister for Women when there's a woman available. So there is this thing of like, what if you are a politician who cares about, I don't know, the defence forces and you want to be the minister for that, but because you're the only woman, you're going to get put into the position of Minister for Women. Yeah. It is also difficult like they should have they should have done more they should have done more for representation but also it would have been really frustrating for a lot of them mm. if that wasn't their pet project if that wasn't the main thing that they cared about to constantly be given the opportunity to finally get into cabinet and then just be put back into this box mm. and the thing is a lot a lot of these um ministers that I was looking at have really similar paths that like, if they're not the minister for women, then they're the minister for education or they're the minister for health and aging, or they're the minister for um, child protection, like welfare. So it's like the women were always put into these ministerial positions that revolve around nurturing care. Mm. Like our discussion of what these ministers have done is less like, well, this person was a piece of crap because they couldn't achieve anything in their time. No, no. And more, how disappointing is this office as a construct? Because yeah. it's doing not much. And I don't, I don't think it's designed to do much. No. I think it's there for optics. Yeah. They, they put out a report like maybe every four years. Yeah. Like with, with some stats and some data and a fucking gender analytics tool. That, that's what we're, that's. That's supposed to be our progress. Yeah. Absolutely. I can't hold these women responsible for that because it's a society and a culture thing. Like Amanda Vanstone, piece of shit. (laughs) But people voted her in. Yep. The society and its culture that rewards women who behave like this and engage like this. So we really need to work on a grassroots level and on a community level to to change these behaviours and to change how how we talk to each other and how we talk about each other. Mm. Don't shame women for trying to do things. Mm. I just before we go, I just want to shout out a couple of community organisations like talking about how we need to do this better. So Renters and Housing Union have got some um, eviction defence workshops coming up. So go to their their website or rahu.org.au maybe um i'll put a link in the in the show notes join up if you're unemployed it's like one dollar or whatever like it's it's affordable if you need it to be affordable but get some solidarity there's australian unemployed workers union that are doing great work there is also an excellent podcast if you're interested in these kind of conversations particularly if you're talking about economic constructs but also about uh you know like grassroots action and how you can how you can actually become more active in your community. A really good podcast to listen to is Grace Blakely's uh, A World to Win. Yeah, so give that a yell. Give that a listen. <laughs> so, 
So go give that a listen. There's really, there's, there's great stuff out there. I mean, sometimes you do have to look for it a little bit harder because, you know, grassroots organizations that are like trying to undo capitalism tend not to get funded. Mm. It's it's a funny thing. It seems to be a pattern and I've not quite figured it out yet. <laughs> if you can, you know, spare an hour a week or something to support these organizations, that would be awesome. Thank you for listening. Uh, if you enjoyed this episode or any of our previous episodes, um, like, share, subscribe. But seriously, if you could even just share it with like one other person that you think would also be interested in it or would learn from it, that would be great. Just just scroll to the bottom. Just give us five stars. I don't care if you liked it or not. Or you know what? Just like put it on mute and just repeat the episode so the algorithm goes up a bit. But yeah, yeah, be anti-capitalist. Fuck the algorithms. <laughs> Anyway, I've been the minister assisting the prime minister, assisting the women, assisting the affairs of women, assisting in women's issues. And I'm Tony Abbott. (laughs) (laughs) Imagine if I looked at it, I'm just like, oh, I forgot to record.